You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super, really down. Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, you and I talk all the time, we talk every day, and you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been to Mm -hmm. therapists before, and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff, and you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have like a whole podcast about it. Right? I mean, I talk about it all the time, everywhere, and I'm just worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know? Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to, like, fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process. And I think that's really hard because, honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it. You get it? You're my best, you, like, you're my best friend. You get it? What do you think I should do? I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this. If anyone listening to this is interested, I'm actually offering disability-informed support for $40 per session. Whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over 100 bucks. But we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live it's so fun, isn't it? It's like so it's good. The best. Yeah. And I, I know you also do, you also offer support for non-disabled people too, right? Yeah, I do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because, really, I mean, everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life, and well, that's a different experience than living with chronic disability. I think it's all very related, and if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think this is such a great thing you're offering, and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S, one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me awesome well I, I can't I can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing I'm so excited that there's finally disability centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about and thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Sandra. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I'm coming at you with a titillating reminder that pre-sales for the world's first disability-driven sex toy, the Bump and Joystick, are open right now. You can go to www.getbumpin.com. That's www.getbumpin.com. And you can pre-order your very own 
bump a joystick right now, or you can get a gift card for that deliciously disabled person in your life right now. Do it now. Go get it and be part of this amazing new innovation in sex tech. Thanks, friends. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D, at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectable disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started, shall we? First things first, I want to give a big shout out to the people that help support the show and keep the bright light shining on Disability Stories at at Disability After Dark. And for today, I want to give a shout out to one of our Patreon peeps who goes by JJ the Cat is their name on Patreon. And JJ gave $3, so the part I have for them... JJ, you are just jamming. Thank you so much for your $3 pledge. They pledge $3 a month to keep the bright light shining on the show. And for their pledge, they get the show one day early and completely ad-free. So they will be listening. They listened to this whole episode yesterday. Thank you so much for your pledge, JJ. And if you 
want to get a weird, awkward shout-out for me on the show for your pledge, go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark to pledge as little as $1 a month up to $5 a month or more, or a yearly amount is also available if that works for your budget. Thank you so much for supporting disability content. But now, let's get to the show. Just before we jump into our guest this week, just remember that we are all we are taking applications for the new series that I want to start in the show, talking about disability and gastro stuff called This Shit Is Real. Be sure to apply by emailing disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com using the subject line, This Shit Is Real. Tell me all about your gastro story, and we'd love to have you on the show. I'm really excited about this series because we get to explore parts about disability in the body that we don't often talk about, that we should be. So if you have a gastro issue and you want to be a part of the show, let me know and and send that email in to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com using the subject line, this shit is real. The episode this week is a continuation of my conversation with Australia's leading male sex coach, Cam Fraser, who last week you heard me talk with him about disability generally, and I let him ask questions about sexuality and disability, and we talked a little bit in that episode about premature ejaculation, which is something that I experience a lot as a disabled person. This week, I wanted to go deeper into that conversation and talk with Cam about some of the shame I feel as a disabled queer person living with premature ejaculation and some of the experiences that I have dealing with it and how it makes me feel. And he offers me some really great tips and he really was there just to listen to me talk about this and I really asked him to come on and to share to 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 share this with him and the audience because it's something that I feel so much shame around that I wanted to get it out of somewhere and I thought why not use my platform to talk about this stuff and really lean into my own vulnerability around premature ejaculation and I hope that any penis havers out there who are listening who live with premature ejaculation and other disabilities if you've ever felt shame about premature ejaculating this is really the episode for you because we go real into my own feelings about it and I was really really scared to talk with Cam Fraser about it, really, really uncomfortable in the best possible way, but I'm so glad that I brought up issues around premature ejaculation and disability and my experiences of disability and premature ejaculation for an episode like this. It kind of reminds me of like an OG original Disability After Dark episode from back in the day where we would talk about this stuff, um, and I'm really, really proud of it and really, really hope that... Um, any of you experiencing shame around sexuality or your bodies, listen to this and feel like, don't worry, you're not alone there. Um, and any of you feeling shame about your disabled bodies, also don't feel alone in this. So I was really excited to bring you, and I am excited to bring you, part two of my conversation with Australia's leading male sex coach, Cameron Cam Fraser. He's really awesome, and we really dove into some personal shit in this conversation. So, enjoy the listen. Right here, right now, on Disability After Dark. 
Cam Frazier, hello, and welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited. Well, I wanted to bring you back because we had such a good conversation last week, and we chatted about so many different things. And I, I really, I talking to you was so comfortable, and I felt really it was really easy. So I thought, and you know, when we're recording this, you're hearing it back to back. We're actually doing it months apart. <laughs> so you know, the first time that we did it, I was like, he, he's really cool, easy to talk to. So there's something that I've been experiencing the last couple of years that I have a ton of shame around, and I wanted to bring it to you to kind of just unpack it. So. I lost the ability to sell pleasure probably about six years ago. I can't really masturbate anymore because of my hands, hence bumping the bumping joystick, all the stuff we're doing. But like, so I can't really do that anymore. And so because of that, I have experienced in the last couple of years a lot more premature ejaculation than I'm used to. And like, at the weirdest moments of my day too, I'll be sitting watching a TV show not even a little bit aroused and I'll just come, which is like cool, but also not so great. Cause it's not, it's not involved in any like sexy thoughts or any, like I'm not even turned on and I'll just ejaculate, which is, which I'm surprised I had so much shame around, but when it happens to me because I'm disabled and I need all this help, I can't, like run and run and change my pants right away. I can't do any of that. I have to call somebody, explain that I had an accident, which feels again, which fills me full of shame again. Because like I can't say, oh yeah, I came. I have to be like, oh yeah, something happened. Can you just change my pants? And so they will, and it's fine. But then, you know, I don't feel any enjoyment from what happened because I have to do all that. So I wanted to just um, unpack all that with you today. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, firstly, thank you so much for feeling comfortable enough to share with me. That's really, really beautiful and really humbling. And then thank you for sharing as well. Uh, I know it's like a pretty vulnerable thing to to share about, and um, I just want to really yeah, honor that and, and acknowledge that because it's um yeah it's something that actually is super common. Um, you know, premature ejaculation and um, something that I work with a lot of guys uh, around. I work with you know uh, a lot of cishet men around this, but um. Yeah, there's there's um, there's so many so many uh, questions I suppose that I have around the shame, particularly as well as it relates to um, you know, your your disability and the the experience of being disabled and having premature ejaculation as well, which is of, of course not necessarily my wheelhouse, but I could, I, I'd love to to unpack that with you, and I'm I'm just really grateful that we kind of have the opportunity to do that. So yeah, just very humbled that that you're willing to have this conversation, Andrew. Thank you. Oh no, of course I I'm a, I I wanted to talk about it on the show for years now, but I didn't know how to do it, and I was like, do I do it by myself? Do I bring somebody on? Like, how do I do it? And then after we chatted, I was like, I know exactly who I'll ask. Cam will do it. That'll be great. <laughs> uh, amazing. Well, I, again, I'm so glad that you you feel comfortable doing it with me. Um, I guess like my my um curiosity and and the the direction that I want to go with some questions, if you're open to answering them, yeah. is um. Is uh, you know you, you kind of mentioned uh, bef- you know prior to six years ago before you lost the ability uh, to use your hands to to masturbate that you still experienced some premature ejaculation but maybe just not as much and I was wondering um, you know was there still times where you were sitting in front of a TV like the time you described and premature ejaculating in that way before you know six years ago yeah I think yeah I distinctly remember there was 
And so, like, you know, I would just pass it. I would be like, oh, yeah, it happened, whatever. And I, I would assume that even when I could self-pleasure, it was still a it was a, it was a job. It was a whole thing to get that, to get in that headspace and to, like, get physically aroused. It was a whole, like, production. So I think part of my, like, my brain would say, like, oh, it's just your body, it's just your body releasing, having needing to release, and that's fine. And so, like, even now when I, when it happens, I try to remind myself, like, it's just your body doing what it has to do. It's okay. Like, don't worry about it. But I, I can't help but feel, I don't know, this huge weight of shame because, you know, the way we've been taught about orgasm in, in our culture is like, it's supposed to be this big magical thing where like you have all this buildup and there's all this prep. And so when my body just releases, like, you know, it's funny upon, upon recording this, it happened yesterday. I was, I looked at a picture of a naked dude cause I'm queer and I like looking at pictures of naked. So I looked at one photo and within 10 minutes I had come and I was like, well, this is not like, I didn't enjoy that because I didn't get to like enjoy the experience. My body just released. And so I felt really embarrassed because I was like, well, I can't control this. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And there's like, there's um, a few different like layers of, expectation and frustration and and even like understanding that we like can kind of build on right so the, the first is you know this understanding and expectation that oh, our body just is going to ejaculate at some point like because it kind of needs to and uh, the first thing i think of is is things like um you know nocturnal emissions wet dreams and how there's um a correlation between uh, not ejaculating so frequently through masturbation and having more frequent wet dreams and now that yeah. there's kind of this theory that the wet dreams are actually just a natural way of the body regulating sperm production and semen production so yeah. um so there's uh so, so obviously there's there's that understanding it sounded like you kind of intuitively were like saying yeah this is kind of what my body needs to do it just needs to release because maybe i haven't done so for a little while um yeah and then there's and then there's the um that again i i feel you man like that that frustration of it not feeling pleasurable, right? Of it being like, oh, this I uh, didn't get to enjoy this. Like the maybe it's not something you you have an opportunity to do very often is to to self pleasure in a way that you know is really pleasurable and enjoyable for you. So when it does, yeah. you know, happen that premature ejaculation and it takes you out of the potential to self pleasure or to to masturbate, it can be you know frustrating and to to take the pleasure away from it. Can, uh, I definitely you know feel you on that with regards to it being like quite. Um, quite yeah, annoying and frustrating and confusing as well. So um, there's, uh, and then there's uh, another layer on top of this, which is like, does a, um, does an ejaculation, I suppose, end your, your sexual experience, right? Like, does it have to, um, does it have to finish when you, when you ejaculate? If you are like setting aside time to do some masturbating and some self-pleasuring and you do end up ejaculating before you want to, is there opportunity to keep on doing some masturbating and self-pleasuring does it stop you um, in your tracks i mean when i prematurely ejaculate the way that i have been i'm not even around i'm not hard Mm. i'm not turned on there's no there's no like pre-cum that's happening none of that's occurring it's just my body being like oh got to release and so it's frustrating because like the way that i learned about ejaculation when i was like you know in school and also learning about it through my own sexual experiences was like, you're hard, you get turned on, there's all these physical 
like signs that you're going to be aroused and then you come. And so to see my body do it when I'm not even hard, when I'm not even aroused, when there's no like state of arousal or over threshold is really frustrating. And then sometimes when I go to have a sexual encounter with somebody and I'm doing all the things that should lead to that, my body will be like, haha, sorry, like you're not going to come now. And then when they leave and all that's done, like then my body will be like, oh, now we want to release. Interesting. All right. So there's a, um, I, I didn't ask questions around like whether you were having an erection or not when you were having this premature ejaculation, say sitting on the couch watching TV. And it says, so it sounds like you're actually not erect when you have this release no. um, in those instances. Okay. So there's an interesting thing to talk about here, which is the nervous system, right? So the, the, uh, Para, uh, sorry, the sympathetic nervous system is what's responsible for our ejaculation reflex, right? And in particular, the um, there's a, a an area in the lower back, in the lower spine, um, around the lumbar vertebrae, known as a it's a cluster of nerves known as the spinal ejaculation generator, um, and they they all carry sympathetic fibers, so they're part of the the sympathetic nervous system, and they trigger ejaculation through a specific nerve called the pudendal nerve, which runs from that area of nerves, from that cluster, through the perineum, that space in between our genitals and our anus, and they trigger that ejaculation reflex. And so my um, thinking here is, um, is there a uh, potential nervous system trigger or nervous system activation, particularly of the sympathetic nervous system, that's happening potentially because of your disability. And I'm wondering, is there a, um, from what you know, is there a, a, any sort of correlation with nervous system stuff happening with regards to your own disability? Yeah, there is. I mean, I have, I have spastic quadriplegic CP, so, mm. and I'm sitting all the time, so it makes sense. It's like maybe that nerve is compressed. Maybe, like, because I'm sitting all the time, it's, it's touching certain areas that make it easier to just come. I don't know. Mm, interesting. I'd be look. I'd be interested in in like looking up some more research potentially. Um, again, the research is going to be super limited, but that would be my my first like port of call. Be okay. Maybe there's there's this nervous system um, trigger or activation. Um, so one of the uh, one of the workarounds for like premature ejaculation in that sense is okay. Well, let's work with the other branch of the nervous system, which is the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. And um, the reason why is because if we're engaging in, and triggering the sympathetic branch of the nervous system, that's going to lead to ejaculation. The parasympathetic branch does the opposite. And so the um, some very simple tools that I suppose I use, and we can um, hash this out here and now to see if they're appropriate for you know, someone who's a, a full-time wheelchair user is um, sure. is like breathing, is deep breathing, for example. Um, that's uh, a strategy that you know, through engaging the diaphragm and through breathing down into the belly allows you to transition into your parasympathetic nervous system. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know, is there, um, like do you have any breathing difficulties or, or especially like deep belly breathing, is that something that you're able to, to do? I mean, I think... I haven't really done deep belly breath in a while. Um, I think I could. I just don't know if it could be full because I'm sitting. But I can sure. move my, I can tilt my chair to like make it so that I'm that I'm lying down a little bit. So I could, I could definitely try that. 
Yeah, my my suggestion would be um, to uh, to like do a little bit of of practicing of that slowing down the breathing of deepening the breathing as much as possible down into the belly, and um, it, doing that in conjunction with like um, looking at a picture of a naked man, right? For example, you know this opportunity where you're building that arousal, you're building that that pleasure or whatever it is that's you know building that anticipation, that excitement, and doing the breathing at the same time and and giving your body essentially an opportunity to experience some of that arousal and some of that pleasure whilst also engaging the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. So essentially just slowing everything down by using the breath. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And actually that's a really accessible thing for me to do because I can't do much else on my own, but I can, you know, work on that. So as a full-time wheelchair user, that's something that I can do. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Um, so that's, that's like usually the first strategy that I would be suggesting. Um, the, the second here, and this might be a little bit more um, uh, complicated, I suppose, for us to, to navigate, but is like sensitivity of the penis, right? And so, um, and again, a, a pretty personal question here, but has yeah. your, has your sensitivity over the last six years, particularly the sensitivity of your penis, changed in any way over the last six years i would i would say and we're gonna get right into it now i would say <laughs> yeah it it has because i use a catheter to pee so in the last six years i also lost the ability to pee as well my own um which is again a big loss that i've had to navigate you know losing the ability to go pee on your own is was a really weird day i'm like oh yeah that's gonna be gone forever so like because i have to catheterize now four times a day and have a catheter basically go right up my urethra to my bladder to pee, the, the sensation has changed and it's become to become less sensitive to certain stimuli, which is why I think when I'm with a partner and we're trying to engage in sex and they're like, you know, spending 40 minutes trying to get me off and I'm not coming and I can't, I'm not even a little bit aroused. I think that it's because that sensation's changed. Yeah. Yeah, so um, again, thank you for sharing. I appreciate that's a, a pretty vulnerable thing to share. So thank you for going there. And um, there's uh, so there's there's a um, there's a an experience here of like not feeling stimulation or not feeling pleasure or not feeling really aroused from that lack of sensation that um, is available to you on the like especially on the genitals on the penis. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Is there is there other areas of your body, and again, this is going to be quite a personal question, but is there other areas of your body that you do get a lot of pleasure from when they're stimulated, like especially when you're I mean, with a partner? I like my nipples being played with. I like my earlobes being licked. I like my armpits being licked. That kind of stuff brings a lot of stimulation. Um, and when I'm with a partner, I'll, it's funny, I will almost guide them there first before we do genital play now, whereas before I lost the ability to pee, I would immediately be like, oh, touch my dick, because mm. that's what I thought you were supposed to do. So now I'll move them to my nipples first, for my, or I'll make out with them for a long time, because I can control that, whereas I feel like when it gets to the lower half of my body, because I can't walk, because I'm sitting all the time, and now because I've lost the ability to pee, 
self-pleasure and I'm just randomly ejaculating. Like, I would, you know, I can't really control there, but it might, the upper half I can control more of. So I kind of guide them towards my, my earlobes, my nipples, my armpits, those places. Yeah, yeah. So there's a almost like a protective mechanism or a defense mechanism, right, of like there's, there's a lot of um, – maybe there's a lot of trauma there's a lot of shame or there's a lot of like baggage around your like you said like you said the lower half or your genitals and your penis and um and so it's like okay well to to kind of protect myself against maybe feeling some shame because of that or from having my partner be um you know having a negative experience down there let's let's not go there so quickly is that fair to say yeah i mean i could think of a moment back when i was in college I was seeing this guy regularly, and we were fucking around, and I would come fast during our sessions because I was excited. I, in fact, you know, looking back on most of my sexual experiences, because I always, even when I could self-pleasure, I had trouble self-pleasuring because of the disability, and there wasn't a time when I could just go somewhere and jerk off as like a, you know, 16, 17-year-old kid. I wasn't able to go to my room and just like do that. So when I, my time to do that was like, in bed at 2 a.m. when everybody was asleep and I was awake and I could figure it out and then there we go. And then, so because I didn't have that experience of like, you know, growing up and learning how to to manage arousal and learning how to like self-pleasure as a young person, when I would get into sexual experiences in my like mid-20s and like early 20s, I would come really fast and I had a partner who was like, oh, you're just two pump chumps, so I'm going to call you that all the time and I remember laughing it off at the time being like, oh that's funny whatever but if I really think about it I was like oh that's a horrible thing to like put in someone's head because I couldn't control it and so I always felt when he had that nickname I know he was trying to be funny and like cute but I was also like oh that feels really bad but I didn't say anything because I wanted to be cool and sexy and like let it be what it was but actually it sucked Yes, it can be quite hurtful that type of language, and I'm I'm wondering, uh, you know, without maybe putting words in your mouth, can you identify like why it sucked? Why for you personally it sucked to be called a two pump chump? Uh, because I felt like on top of everything, like I'm already disabled. I'm already bringing this person into this experience they don't know about. I'm already doing all these things that already makes them uncomfortable and now I can't even hold my orgasm in. I can't even like come when it's quote unquote the right time, which I know is like from a, from an intellectual level, I know that's like a ridiculous thing to think and it's built on all these like ideas of masculinity, blah, blah, blah. I know I realize that, that it's all ridiculous, but from an emotional level, I'm like, Oh fuck. I wish that I could come when I want to. Yeah, it's, I appreciate you you um, acknowledging that kind of story around masculinity as well because that's something that pops up all the time in the work that I do, at least with with cishet men. Right? Is um, if they're experiencing you know, premature ejaculation, if they're not lasting as long as they would like to, one of the big uh, stories or narratives that gets triggered for them is like I'm not man enough, and really what that boils down to is I'm I'm not enough. Uh, and there's like a self-worth um, story that's being activated there. And so, um, yeah, so it sounds like there's a similar story that's maybe happening for yourself of, of 
I'm not enough or, you know, there's something even potentially, you know, there's something wrong with me. Um, and I'm wondering, is that kind of where that that's coming from? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you said not enough, it triggered something, not trigger, but it like opened up something for me of like, I've never really felt that I was enough because of the disability and because I'm sitting in a chair. So I spent a lot of my, after I came out, when I went to college and started trying to meet dudes and get laid, I was always saying, it's like, yeah, my dick works. It'll be so hot and all this like big bravado stuff to get people to look past the disability and like see that I was still viable. But deep, deep down underneath all that, I was like, well, I'm definitely not enough. So like, it doesn't matter how much I hype myself up. They're not going to stay and they're not going to think that I'm worth it. So what is all this that I'm doing? So yeah, I think there's definitely a narrative of me not feeling enough hidden, hidden in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, have you ever? Uh, of course, we've you know, you've kind of publicly shared it now. But is there is there times in your life where you've had a partner and you've acknowledged to them, "Hey, I actually come quite quickly sometimes, or I have trouble coming sometimes." Like, have you ever had a conversation uh, like around ejaculation before? Yeah, but it's never like it's never been positive. It's me bringing it up and me saying, "If I come too fast, you're not going to leave, are you?" Or you're not going to be upset, are you? Or you're not going to... It's never me saying, like... It's never me putting it in in a positive light right away. It's me immediately being like, so if I do this, you're not going to think less of me, right? Mm -hmm. Again, so that that self-worth story, right? Rearing its head there with the way that you're discussing premature ejaculation with a partner. So, like, a a strategy or or an opportunity here, right, is to bring up premature ejaculation with a partner and, and... you know, consciously, intentionally frame it in a positive way. And a very simple example of this could be like, hey, just wanted to let you know, sometimes I ejaculate you know, quicker than I would like. Totally not a problem because I still love to be, you know, touched and I still love to touch and I still love to, you know, explore pleasure even though I've come a little bit quickly, right? It's, it's not the end of a sexual experience for me and I'd love to continue exploring. So don't feel like it's a, you know, it's going to put a stopper on that. Does that make sense, that reframe? Yeah, it totally does. I feel, though, with a lot of queer men, I think specifically for queer queer dudes that I've seen anyway, is that, you know, when you come, especially when you're dealing with, like, sex workers, which is the predominant way that I receive pleasure right now, like, when you come, that's the end of the session. The session is over. It's done. So, like, mm-hmm. I feel really not only the shame of, like, I've come too fast, if I ruin the session, Part of me is like, why did I spend all this money on having a guy come over to hang out and have a session if I'm just going to come? Like, for instance, a couple of weeks ago, I had my 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 number one sex worker over. We have a good relationship. We're close. And, like, he was sleeping over, and we weren't doing anything. He was in the bed next to me, and I came. And he goes, well, he goes, did you come? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, did you want me to, like, help you get cleaned up and I was like oh no it's all right I'll figure it out and he stayed over and it was fine but I was like why did I why did I spend all this money to have this experience to then have it quote-unquote ruined by my own body so there's a lot there was and there was so much shame after that happened even though I knew it was fine and he stayed and we had a good time I was still like oh this fantasy that I had dreamed of happening which again is ridiculous because it's a fantasy, but I was like, I was so hurt by myself 
my body not doing it, there was a lot of like, oh fuck, my body did this again. Right now, why? <laughs> like why now? Yeah, and I remember us speaking. Um, you know, it'll be for the listeners last week on last week's episode, but several months ago we spoke about um, that feeling of betrayal by your body, right? So it, it sounds like that that's, that sense of betrayal is maybe popping up here as well. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and and so like the the um, that experience of having you know that that um, sex worker, your your kind of sexual partner, stick around even though you've had an ejaculation, um, and you're still being pleasurable and still exploring pleasure after that. Did that alleviate any of that shame, or did it um, challenge some of that shame that you had of this, like being the end of the sexual experience just because you've ejaculated? Did that help at all? Well, it did. I mean, except that then we just went to sleep, and then he was like, do you want me to help you get cleaned up? So it wasn't, like, sexy. It was like, oh, like, I appreciated that he wanted to provide care. That was nice. But I was mm-hmm. also like, oh, you know, I wanted it to be this, like, sexy, hot thing, and you're now just offering to, like, clean my junk off and then and then hang out, which didn't feel super hot. So I appreciated, like, the one the, – the, the want and offering of care, but I was also like, oh, it wasn't like I think I think where I'm struggling is the disconnect between the fantasy I have in my head of what queer sex is supposed to be, and then my body never being able to live to live up to that. That's been a really hard thing to get over. Yeah, right. So there's a um, maybe there's an expectation management strategy that maybe needs to put into put into place, not only internalized for you but also with with partners as well to be like hey let's set some expectations here about what the sex could look like and and maybe will look like and potentially could look like if we do this instead or if this happens um and you know that's obviously a conversation you you have in conjunction or collaboration with a sexual partner but it's also something that that um you can have with yourself you know if you're setting aside time to do some self-pleasuring it's like okay let's think of some possibilities that could could go down here like maybe i do ejaculate quite quickly and and it is a bit of a struggle to get aroused or whatever it might be does that uh like how will i navigate that in that situation like does this mean that i'm going to maybe spend a bit more time um you know uh cleaning up and then you know and maybe setting aside some more time afterwards do i have to like you know um come back to my self-pleasuring after i've ejaculated because uh you know, it, it's uh, something that needs to needs to be done in order for me to enjoy the experience. Um, if you know, I, I recognise these are kind of solutions or, or strategies for those times where you are setting aside time to do some self pleasuring or to connect with a partner, they're not necessarily super helpful for those times where you're sitting on the couch and it comes unexpectedly. Um, so I want to just yeah. acknowledge that. Uh, but that, that's like my my thinking here is 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 there opportunity for you to create a positive experience even though a premature ejaculation has occurred for you that's like my 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 invitation is like okay let's let's try and create some of those positive experiences which challenge the story that you have which historically has maybe been the case for you that premature ejaculation is a negative thing does that make sense yeah yeah it totally does i mean i think where i'm and I I want to try it, and I definitely will. But I think where I'm struggling right now, even hearing that, is like, what do you mean positive experience? Like for me, most of my sexuality outside of me paying thousands of dollars for it at this point 
has been really negative. Like any any sex that I have that I haven't curated through through my own, through paying for it or through a sex worker hasn't been great. So like the idea of pairing my sex with something positive sounds great, but it's terrifying to me because like that just is such a rarity. Yeah, yeah. I'm um I'm wondering about the uh this is just because I, I know you a little bit, um, but those experiences of um creating your uh, and forgive me, I'm not sure if you discussed this on your podcast, so maybe this Oh we can talk again. Yeah, okay. Is your your types creating um pornography and whether that was a, a positive, pleasurable experience for you? It was. It was. And I think part of that was because maybe there was a camera there. Maybe, like, maybe it was because, like, it was a bit of play and there was not as much pressure. Well, I mean, there was pressure, but it wasn't, it didn't feel pressure at the moment. It felt like, oh, we're just playing and there was a camera there. And um, it's funny because in those moments during the session, when we were recording I came when I wanted to which you know and I haven't really done if I'm really thinking about my last couple of sexual experiences um, since then I haven't really ever come when I wanted to like the last time I had the sex work over came too fast the time before that didn't come at all and we still enjoyed ourselves and I still let myself like have that pleasurable moment but because, you know, especially in other types of porn that I watch and uh, that I consume, especially like gay male porn, it's so based around the ejaculation, the cum, the togetherness of that. And because I can't do that, and because I'm already disabled, and because I'm already dealing with them, with letting them into my disability experience, and like, I don't know if you've seen the pornography that I've done, but I can send it over later to show you what I'm talking about. But like, they... They, you know, have to get me out of bed. They have to get me into my chair and out of my chair. They have to do all these things around my disability um, to be, and they have to be comfortable with that. And so then when they finally get comfortable with that idea, then I don't perform in a, in a quote-unquote normal sexual way. So there's a lot of shame I carry around that part that I'm letting someone into this world of disability and they're okay with that, and then my body doesn't do what I want to do to make me sexually viable for them. So I feel, and I'll say stuff to partners like, like it's funny, with my sex worker a few weeks ago, I said, the next time we fuck, I only want to focus on your pleasure. And he was like, well, why? And I was like, because I need to take it away from me so that I don't feel shame around my coming too fast or my any of that. I have to just... I want to focus on you because everybody thinks when they come over to fuck me, they have to, they have to treat me, not with kid gloves, but they have to like provide my pleasure because I'm the disabled one. So they have to make sure that I have a great time. And I always feel like, no, I want to give that back to you and show you that I'm just as capable of doing that for you as you are to me. So there was a lot to unpack there, but yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you you sharing all that. And there's um so there's two major themes that I wanted to to dive into. The first one was um you know you, you shared about it being quite a positive 
experience in the sense that you could ejaculate when you wanted to when you were filming. And I'm wondering, other than the fact that you were filming during those times, um, was there anything that was different about those experiences for you um, when you were able to come when you wanted to? I mean, not that I can think of. Like most of the – and this is the same sex worker that I've been seeing for five years. Hi, John. I know you're listening. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, this is the same sex worker that I've been seeing for five years. And so, like, there's nothing super out of the ordinary that we've done. Uh, the session that we filmed for the porn is literally how our sessions would go when there wasn't a camera there. There was a little bit more playing, a little bit more, like, playing to the camera because we knew we were doing a porn. But, like, other than that, nothing nothing super drastically different, no. So here's a um, an idea is um, film another one. doesn't have to be published anywhere. Film it for yourself yeah. and stick a camera in there and, and see if it changes the experience. See if because of the camera and because of the, you know, um, almost kind of like putting on that playfulness, that performance or whatever it is for, for the camera, see if that changes your experience and play around and experiment with that. That could be a strategy. Not a bad idea. And I do like – I did I – did, find myself really enjoying playing to the camera so that maybe maybe knowing that the camera's there is, is a almost a deterrent to coming to that i don't know yeah i'd be interested to know uh after you've had an opportunity to explore that what um what happened for you and um and if it did have any impact so yeah keep me posted about that for sure for sure um and the, oh, and yeah. I, sorry go ahead oh i was gonna um the other thing i was gonna um ask about uh is Oh, my train of thought has just been interrupted there. Um, I was uh, about oh, – I was the, the second thing you shared. It, I've lost it. I'll come back to it. So please uh, <laughs> please continue with your own train of thought, Andrew. Um, what was my <laughs> – <laughs> no, I lost my train of thought. Um, no, but I also wanted to ask you, like, as another cis male person, have you – just so that I – just so that, like, I don't feel – as much shame, and if you want to share, that's great. And if not, don't worry. But have you ever experienced in your sexual life premature ejaculation like what I'm referring to? I have personally experienced premature ejaculation with a partner. And, um, like, my – I say, so my, my um, understanding of premature ejaculation is, is you know, um, the clinical sense is, like, you know, prior to a minute of – penis in vagina penetration. I understand it's a very hetero um, normative understanding of premature ejaculation. That's a whole different other issue to talk about with regards to yeah, like yeah. how premature ejaculation is diagnosed. Um, and so I've, I've experienced that, particularly when I was um, a little bit younger before doing the sexuality work that I do now. I haven't, um, if I'm you know, being transparent, I haven't experienced the premature ejaculation that you're referring to of sitting on the couch, not feeling aroused and... Um, and, and being being flaccid as well and, and still having an ejaculation. So that's not something I've personally experienced. I have worked with men that have experienced that um, and the, the uh, similar to what I was kind of sharing with you before, um, there is a sense of like, you know, uh, confusion and frustration that these guys have of like, is this normal? Is this, you know, should, should my body be doing this? Like, why is this happening? And almost a sense of like, you know, am I broken? Like this is this is not how I've like kind of learned about sexual experiences. I think you you shared that before. Is like you know, there's this story that sex is supposed to look this particular way. Yeah, and I mean, going back to what you said about being broken, like 
it's funny that that word made me think about something like I've I've kind of always thought that I was broken. So this is like another layer of like, oh, well, I guess it's true. Look, your body doesn't do this thing that it's supposed to do. And so, you know, also being one of the only people in the, in the world talking as openly about sex and disability as I do and kind of having to hype up when I do a professional talk, I have to hype up how hot and sexy it is. But then to know underneath all that, like, this is happening feels like an added layer of that brokenness. It's like, oh yeah, you just don't work. So mm-hmm. I I well, definitely feel that way. I will affirm for you that ejaculation is very natural and it's actually what our bodies are supposed to do if we want to get like real, you know, um, uh, primitive and primal about it. Like our bodies are designed to ejaculate, right? And there's also an argument that our bodies are designed to ejaculate as quickly as possible because it's advantageous if we're thinking about, like, you know, um, like the, the evolutionary uh, biology, I suppose, of, of ejaculation is that, you know, uh, for example, when we're, when we're when our ancestors were having sex, sex is a pretty vulnerable thing to do, and um, to be in a vulnerable position for a long period of time was a very dangerous thing to do, and so the... Uh, the idea of ejaculating quickly was to get sex kind of over and done with as quickly as possible so that we could not be in a vulnerable position for a long period of time. So there is, there's that theory that ejaculation, premature ejaculation doesn't exist because we're supposed to prematurely ejaculate, right? That's the, that's the theory. I think it's called survival of the fastest. Um, But there's, um, but obviously, you know, uh, that's not necessarily conducive for the, the lifestyles that we live now, where we want to have sex for pleasure and we want to have sex to connect and we want to have sex to explore. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's a, um, an understanding that needs to happen of like, well, ejaculation is normal, it's natural and it's kind of what our body was designed to do. So that maybe there's a, um, a piece of acceptance there, I suppose, or acknowledgement that could, that could land. I mean, it does. That certainly makes me feel a little bit better because like there, there has been so much shame. I think another, Another area that I wanted to touch on with you where I feel a lot of shame is because, like, like if I was an, a walking person, a person that could walk, I would come prematurely, and then I would run in my room, change my pants, and maybe move on. For me, there's a whole other layer of, like, I come in my pants, and then I have two options. I can sit in it, which some people find hot. I, not so much. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I could do that. Or I have to call somebody, like a care worker, to come in my house and change my pants, which I've done. And I'll share a story with you when it happened that wasn't super positive. So I called the care worker, the one that I had explained all this to, because I had one that I really trust. And I told her what was happening. And I said, when I do this, can I call you when you're working and you'll just come and change it and we'll not talk about it when we move on? She said, oh, yeah, no problem. So she wasn't available that day. So they sent somebody in that didn't know what had happened. And I said, I'm wet and I need to change my pants. And she kept pressing me to tell her why. And I kept thinking, oh, no, it's okay. Just I had an accident. Don't worry about it. And she kept pressing me. And so finally I said, like, fuck off. I came. I'm embarrassed. Could you not? Could you not press me? And she was mad about that, that I had screamed that. And so then she left me in the in my, in the room with my pants down, like alone, unable to change my pants because I had I had been upset. So like I was really embarrassed because I don't want to have to tell somebody that I came in my pants 
and you have to change me. So, like, for me, there's a whole other layer of disability stuff in there, and I don't know how to to reframe or rethink of that shame, and I'm wondering if you had any any ideas on how to do that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that um, that sharing, Andrew, and, and I you know I want to acknowledge my own like limitations with regards to the people that I work with, and, and obviously I don't work with um, people that have a disability, so I, I appreciate you kind of um, inviting me to to think a little um, broader here. Uh, the I guess my my first um, question around that in particular is you know the the care worker who you did talk to about. Um, you know, your premature ejaculation and who you have kind of discussed with, um, what is it like when they help you clean up, so to speak? We just, you know, we don't talk about it. We just, or I'll make some sort of like silly joke, like, oh, I just came and oh, let's fix it, haha, <laughs> whatever. I mean, there's a whole bunch, now, now that I'm sitting with you, I can be honest and say there's a whole fuck ton of shame around that joke, but I figure if I make that joke real fast and we just, move along then it'll be okay and I don't have to like dwell on it and so it's a real quick like they get a washcloth they clean my junk I go I go back in my chair and I move on with the day and I like that because I don't have to there's there doesn't need to be a giant discussion that Andrew came and fix it like and because you know they're care workers and for their own safety and comfort there has to be a boundary there of the of them doing a job you know and nothing intimate happening so I try to be really professional about it and be like, all right, I'm wet, fix this, change it, get out, so that we don't have to discuss, like, Andrew just came, like, I don't want to bring them into that world, so I'm very quickly just say, like, oh, I had an accident, or I'm wet, or I need to be changed, thanks. Yeah, okay, all right. Is there um, is there an opportunity to, and it doesn't have to be with, the care worker, I suppose, but is there an opportunity to talk at all with anyone when you've had an experience like that? Like maybe afterwards, doesn't have to be like immediately afterwards, but even you know, a couple of hours later to, to unpack that experience at all? Is there any, any opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I have some great friends with disabilities who, who well, they're not penis owners necessarily uh, and don't ejaculate the same way that I would. But um, I definitely talk with them about the shame, and I I talk with them about like that kind of stuff, and like I've even talked to my mom about it because like when sometimes she lives about an hour away, and when I go to see her, I take the train, and sometimes on the train, again with no arousal and no excitement, I'll come, and sometimes she'll go to pick me up on the train and be like, oh, why are you wet? Did you? And so lately it's been like, oh, I came on the train. Uh, whatever, and we'll make a quick, like, clip about it, and she'll say, like, don't worry, whatever. Like, so that's reaffirming to have my mom, like, understand that it is just a bodily function. Don't worry about it. It's okay. But, like, with the carers, it's so embarrassing because there was no pleasure involved. There is, There cannot be any pleasure with the carers. There has to be a boundary. And, like, I can't – I don't feel comfortable just saying, oh, yeah, I came everywhere – I have to make up some story about I'm wet or I like, like this is what happened. And I wish I could just say, yeah, I splooged everywhere and now can you fix it? But like, I can't do that because of their boundaries and for their comfort level. So I always feel like I'm hiding something from them when I wish I could just say, yeah, I came. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's an, um, 
and of course I'm not super familiar with with boundaries and and carers, but maybe there's an opportunity to, to like do some educating, and be like, hey, something that that happens is um, just because of you know and it, whether we we look into like some nervous system stuff or we look into you know the the um, prevalence of premature ejaculation in the way that you've described it and people that are wheelchair users. Um, like say, hey, sometimes something that can happen is I ejaculate and, you know, reiterating and reaffirming that it's actually not a pleasure thing. It's not pleasure related. And, you know, something that you know, we've, we've kind of has gone unspoken here um, is that like one of the stories that we have societally around ejaculation is that it's a signifier of a person with a penis's pleasure. Right, that it's like the peak pinnacle experience of their pleasure, and so we conflate yeah. the two, right? And it sounds like even in in your own uh, unpacking of these stories, is that there is this like, you know, it's ejaculation. It's supposed to be pleasurable. Why isn't it right? And so yeah, um, I mean, there's, there's it's such a it's such a a barrier of shame around like like it happened to me yesterday yesterday upon mm. this recording, and I remember sitting there, you know, as it's happening to me, I was like. I'm sitting there watching it happen and being like, this is supposed to feel good. None of this feels good, but I'm going to end with this giant visual representation in my pants of like something that is supposed to have felt good, which doesn't. And so like, it's funny because now when I come, my sex worker, I've explained similarly to, as I've done to you today of like how it happens. And he goes, don't feel bad about it. Feel good about it. And every time you do that, text me and I'll reaffirm for you that it's, like a good thing. So I've been trying that to have another male role model in my life be like, it's what you did is good, good. So like that's hard. Even but even that is not I'm learning to be okay with that. That's still uncomfy because again, in queer male stuff that I consume, the cum shot and I'm sure with hetero guys too, the cum shot is like the the whole part of the sexual experience when you don't have any of that and then for me when I'm spending thousands of dollars on sex workers or on on these moments that I have to curate because nobody wants to fuck me that I don't pay them for because of ableism so like when I'm doing all this stuff to get this pleasure and then I'm not even getting it wow there's so much shame there yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, and, and you're right. Like hetero and hetero porn is is very similar. It's, it revolves around ejaculation. It essentially revolves around the penis. Um, and I have spoken to uh, particularly um, some gay men on my podcast about like gay porn, and, and uh, you know, it's similar story from them. Is that it's all penis centric. It's all like, is the penis hard? Is it soft? Does it ejaculate? Does it not ejaculate? Like it's all what the penis can and can't do. Um, so I think that's a very strong story. And so like a piece of education here, which um, for people listening, they may or may not know this. And, and Andrew, I'm, I'm not sure if you are familiar with this term, but it's um, arousal non-concordance is the term. And the idea is that, well, not the idea, but the, the phenomenon is that um, as a person with a penis, you can be aroused and can be experiencing a lot of pleasure, can be really turned on, but actually not have an erection and you know not... Uh, have any kind of quote-unquote physical signs of arousal. Uh, and then also the reverse is true as well, is you can have an erection and you can ejaculate, but actually not be aroused, not be turned on. And that's a you know, an experience that you have been sharing um, you know, today. And so that's, that, and, you know, that idea is 
challenges a lot of like normative thinking when it comes to people that have a penis and their experiences of, of sex and pleasure and arousal. And so, and so that's, that needs to be talked about firstly, it's like that needs to be more, more public knowledge, I suppose. Like I would love to see the arousal non-concordance in porn. And I didn't know the term until you said it right now. I had no idea that that was possible until you educated me. So thank you. And that, that also does put having, I think, different language for it than just you came too fast is, I don't know, it's putting me at ease a little bit just talking to you about it because now I have a language for it that isn't just, oh, Andrew came too fast again. Like there's something that I can draw from now that makes me feel like not great about it still. I'm not, I won't be happy about it tomorrow, but it'll it's putting some of those stories to rest, I think, and that feels comfortable. Yeah, yeah, and I want to again, you know, totally acknowledge that it isn't in a, it isn't a, you know, flick of the fingers or flick of a switch like, oh, that's solved for me now, right? It's definitely a uh, a journey of unpacking, unlearning, as with everything, I suppose. And and you know, you've really helped me on some of my own journey of unpacking and unlearning, um, you know, ableist thinking, for example. But it's it's a similar, it's a similar thing. It's stories, it's narratives that we've learnt from watching porn, from the people in our lives, from our historical sexual experiences. And so it does take a while to kind of, uh, I, I suppose, like, you know, go on this journey, but then also to kind of like stay motivated to go on that journey because sometimes it, we can just go, you know what, fuck it, it's just there. I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm going to pretend that it's, you know, um, just something that doesn't affect me. But they can, you know, these experiences can have a pretty profound impact on us, especially when they uh aren't given an opportunity to be unlearned and unpacked and talked about. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when I was in my 20s, not only the guy called me um, one bum chump or two bum chump, you know, the, I would have other guys be like, like, oh, you came? Like, you know, another story, another thing that happens to me sometimes is I'll set up a meeting with a new partner or a new sex worker, and on their way over, I'll get so excited by the idea of them coming over that I'll come before they get there. And I remember it happened to me once, and the guy showed up, and I lied, and I said, oh, I haven't come yet because I wanted him to stay, and he obviously could tell that I had, and he was like, so if you didn't come yet, why are you wet? And I was like, well, okay, the truth is that I did. And he was like, oh, I guess I should go then. And he, like, left. He just got up, got his coat, and left. And I was like, well, this... So there's, I think, the way queer men, in my experience, have dismissed like arousal non concordance and premature ejaculation and all the things that I experience as like you are less than and therefore I won't have a have a sexual experience with you or a session with you reinforces my idea that I'm already less than because I'm a wheelchair user and you already think I'm not worth your time. That's why I'm paying you or why like or why I can't meet somebody quote unquote the normal way. So I think all of that those experiences plus disability reinforce a lot of like negative self-talk. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of compounding of layers of of shame and and that kind of negative self-talk. So I I, I want to acknowledge and appreciate that. Um, and and the the like to to kind of bring it back to it like a strategy or a a potential like opportunity or you know an invitation is you know, have a have a conversation with your your um current um you know sex workers and 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 people that are your sexual partner and and saying like um essentially you know similar to what we were saying before is is you know have this uh this 
frame of reference or this like pre um, pre frame of like, hey, if an ejaculation happens, like, can we just make sure that that's not the end of the experience as well? Like, I want to, you know, uh, and even acknowledging like, hey, I'm trying to rewrite a story for myself around sexuality here, and if I ejaculate, sometimes what can happen is I can feel really ashamed and embarrassed about that and oftentimes it makes me feel like the sex is over um, but I'm really trying to push through that can you help me you know do that essentially and say like you know let's let's keep on touching let's keep on exploring pleasure after an ejaculation has happened because um, it doesn't have to be the end of the experience because that's often as you've so beautifully shared already is a very strong narrative for a lot of people is that like ejaculation is the signifier of the end of sex right particularly if there's an ejaculation with a person with a penis involved however many people are involved in that experience if there's an ejaculation involved usually that symbolizes okay sex is finished roll over have a cigarette go to sleep right that's the very hollywood yeah. kind of narrative i suppose um and so a lot of people have internalized that a lot of i work with a lot of heterosexual couples they have the exact same story if he comes then she goes, well, I guess that's sex done, you know, that we're, we're, yeah. we're finished. And so that that's, that takes a lot of unlearning as well for, for people because that's where we get our stories from is porn and Hollywood and our, our, you know, our other partners who also have those same stories who then reinforce that original story that we had. So, um, so it can be, I guess, I guess like if we're talking implementation of strategies, it can be maybe helpful to name that up front and be like, this is a story I'm trying to work on. Let's um, figure out a way to, to kind of work on that together. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I just don't know how I'll execute it. Like the whole idea of having that conversation feels like just, I again, from an intellectual level, you're right. And that's a great conversation to have. From an emotional level, how the fuck do you have that conversation? <laughs> like how do you, I don't know how to do that. Like and I think I have to work through a lot of my, you know, we've said it a lot this episode, but a lot of my bro- my feelings of being broken, my feelings of being less than, like, I don't know how to bring that up to a sexual partner and still mm-hmm. maintain, but you still think I'm fuckable, right? Like, you're going to, you're going to, you still want to do this. So, like, I think, again, intellectually, that conversation is great. Emotionally, I have no idea how to get there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I recognize that it's, um, you know, you, you still want to maintain that desire and that arousal, right? When, you, when you're having that conversation because it's, it's, it's leading towards something that is supposed to be pleasurable and arousing and, and desiring. So, um, my, my first thinking as you share that with me, I want to really acknowledge that is like, um, uh, is keep it, uh, keep that, uh, conversation like pleasure oriented, right? So like, you know, you know, it, it's, uh, instead of maybe, um, framing it as like, oh, similar to what you've shared before, is like rather the conversation being like, oh, this is making me feel um, embarrassed or like this is this is something that's like you know, bringing up a lot of shame for me. It can be helpful to to unpack that at a later at a later stage, but in that moment, it can be more conducive for the experience that you're wanting to have to say like, hey, I, I want to explore pleasure in a bunch of different ways. Like I'm really interested in you know in pleasure and arousal and where I'm really interested in just like exploring pleasure with you and that can look like a whole bunch of different ways and I really want to um, make sure that we don't limit ourselves so um, you know uh, and so one of the things that might limit that or you might think limits that is ejaculation um, and I want to let you know that that doesn't, that doesn't limit my experience there's, there's so many other things that we can do to explore pleasure ejaculation is just one of those things so um, that could be a strategy like you know Unpacking obviously the shame and the feelings of being broken and that kind of betrayal, of course, at a, at some at some stage at some point. But in those moments with a sexual partner, kind of keeping it, 
again, positively framed, pleasure-oriented, and saying, like, hey, an ejaculation isn't going to stop me. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's more that we can do, and there's other things that I'd love to explore with you if an ejaculation happens, or if, or if it doesn't happen as well, right? Like, because obviously that's an experience. Yeah. That. Does, that, does that, like, help at all, the, the kind of delineation of those two conversations? It's terrifying, and I have no <laughs> idea how I'll, do, how I'll do it in practice. But I certainly, it's something that I'll try. Um, it it makes, if I'm really honest, it gives me a whole ton of anxiety because yeah. I'm so used to people, to people seeing that I'm less than or thinking that I'm less than because of the disability and mm. turning on their heel and leaving. Or you know, I I had an experience with a really famous sex worker a couple of years ago who I won't name, but you know, I had a re- we, were, we he's really famous. All the gays know who he is. Um, and he came over to my place when we had a session and I, this was one of the times when I couldn't come and he, you know, was jerking me off for like 40 minutes and nothing was happening. And he eventually was like, can I just go home? And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, I guess so. Like, sure. And so like the idea of sitting someone down that I want to think, who I want to think I am sexually viable and saying like can we can we move past ejaculation as the only point of pleasure i love that idea but i'm not gonna lie and so that it, it it fills me with almost a dread of like oh god how do i how do i how do i do this so i'm excited to try it i'm also really scared <laughs> yeah yeah i appreciate that man and thank you for for sharing that and um yeah i i all i could say is i i it is scary. It's a it's a scary thing to do. I mean, those conversations are pretty fucking vulnerable and um, you know pretty uh, risky, and there's a lot of uncertainty. And so I just yeah, I'm I'm, you know, I'm rooting for you. I'm in your corner, and uh, I'm I'm here to support you in whatever way I can. And um, I know it's scary, dude, but you 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 know you're better off for it. I think. Oh, well, thank you so much, and thank you again so much for letting me like because I wanted to do this episode for years and I've been terrified to do it so I just put it off and didn't do it and did a bunch of episodes instead of that one and then after we talked for the listeners last week for us like four months ago I was like oh I'm really comfortable with Cam I want to bring this to you so thank you for allowing me to to be so vulnerable and, and have a really scary conversation that I've been terrified to have with anybody for a long time so I appreciate that of course. Um, I'm going to do a bit more research and see if I can find out any, um, you know, we spoke about the nervous system and maybe some impacts that your disability might have on the nervous system and being wheelchair user and things like that. So let me do a bit of um, homework on my end as well, and I'll send you through um, you know, any resources that I might be able to find. Maybe when you find those resources, we can do a part three. Like maybe there's, we maybe we should <laughs> do a part three or maybe like on your show, we could do like yeah. another part. That'd be fantastic. I'd love to have you back on my my podcast, man. There's so much to to like, especially. I think I spoke to you about this very like briefly um, before. Is that there's there's so much um, just like normativity when it comes to like able bodies and um, the sexuality industry, right? Especially like the sex coaching space as well. Maybe in the the sex therapy space, there's maybe a little bit more accessibility and, and inclusivity, but definitely Not in really. the sex coaching world. Yeah, yeah, okay, so there you go. But definitely in the sex coaching world, which is the space that I kind of occupy, it's very, and I even, you know, I, I try and acknowledge this myself, is like a lot of the strategies that I use are, are inappropriate for 
people that have a disability or people that are wheelchair users. And so there's so much learning to be had and it's been, yeah. I've already had so much valuable learning from you and just having a couple of conversations and, and following you online. But um, I definitely would love to be able to, to signal boost you and, and prop up information that's you know, accessibility oriented because it's super needed in, in the sex coaching space and, and yeah, very valuable. Yeah, we. I mean, we were talking kind of offline about maybe doing like sessions or doing something together. We should we should work on that. <laughs> yeah, let's let's revisit it, man, because I'd love to love to to do something like that for sure. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for letting me kind of bear my stuff to you because it was not an easy conversation, but it was a valuable one, and thank you for that. Um, and I just love the work you do. So just to remind the people, even though you told them last week. How do they get a hold of you again and how do they follow you and support you? Sure, sure. Well, firstly, thank you so much for, for yeah, being open and vulnerable and, and, um, and, and for welcoming me into that as well. I feel very humbled that you, you were comfortable enough to, to share this with me. Um, and so for people that are interested in learning more about my work, um, you can find me on social media. I'm at the Cam Fraser on all social media platforms um and i've also got a website which is cam-fraser.com nice i'll make sure that i'll make sure that again it's all in the show notes but really thank you so much for letting me share this with you it was a really tough conversation for me but i'm glad i got to do it so i appreciate that yeah no problem thanks for having me back thanks we'll talk soon all right friends that's another episode of disability after dark in the books Thank you so much for making this episode comfy, cozy, and crippled, and I hope you enjoyed sitting down with your favorite disabled person on the internet and talking all things disability. Thank you so much for being here. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my website, andrewgerza.com, or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza1. If you want to be on the show, you can, of course, email us at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com with your disability story, We'd love to hear from you. If you want to support Disability After Dark, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month up to $5 a month or more, or even a yearly amount if that works for your budget. We at Disability After Dark, me, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting this show and Cripple Co. and all the things we do, and tune in next week when we shine a light on another disability story, right here on Disability After Dark. Bye, friends! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Cripple & Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.